Warning, what you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Well, here we are again, Keith. How are you today? I'm great. Are you? That, that sounded like semi-unenthusiastic, like kind of like, I'm great. No, that's all. It's always a lie. Like you, yeah. You hear these shows and people are like, well, how are you doing? To- oh, well, I'm doing great. Well, I'm real excited to get into today's topic. No way. I'm, I'm genuinely and generally unhappy most of the time. But I do yes. look forward to doing this show and escaping the terrors of modern adult life, mm-hmm. just for an hour or two. So. Well, Hopefully everyone else is uh, in the same boat and we can all sort of row towards our inevitable fate together. Hell yeah. And what is this show, <laughs> Keith? <laughs> this is the Trash Heap Podcast, where we ask spicy questions and eat even spicier wings. Whoa. Should we do that? <laughs> no. We should but like we should do a version of that with like something more intense, like like putting the putting the spice in our eyes. Not no, just we'll eat garbage. <laughs> yes. We'll eat actual trash. Or eat some old DVDs. Eat some wings we we fished out of the dumpster. <laughs> it's like we don't know if these are spicy or not because we found them in the trash. Nope. Uh yeah, what do we do on this show? We talk about movies and talk about trash movies and why they aren't trash. Or no, no, no. We give discarded you, gems a yes. second chance, and we are out to prove once and for all there are no garbage opinions, only garbage movies. No, that's not it. No, either. that's reverse. Shit. Garbage opinions, not garb. There are no garbage movies. Oh, those downloads are about to skyrocket. <laughs> no garbage movies, just garbage opinions. Except for the last movie Keith made us watch, that was a garbage movie. We are doing a like, kind of like a little martial arts series, right? Like unofficial, like we didn't really announce that we we're going to be doing a series, but we're just doing some martial arts movies. We did Sidekicks. We've done two Billy Blanks movies, uh, Showdown and right that was yeah Showdown and uh, Tough and Deadly. Um, or does it back in action? That last episode was not really a martial arts extravaganza no. that was more just kind of generic action with right car chases and shootouts and things yeah, there was like a couple that. of like roundhouse kicks but that's about it well we're back into like actual martial arts to a certain degree today kind we're doing, of kind of i mean i mean this has some legitimate martial arts fights in it this it's a little different it does we're but di- it's really not focused on the martial arts no, no and it's even not. the the notion of the one of the main characters as a martial artist isn't really focused on in any it, significant way, which is interesting to me. Star, one of the largest martial artists, uh, stars of all time, Jackie Chan, in one of his kind of more forgotten movies, and it's his uh, the second attempt to turn him into an American action star after uh, Battle Creek Brawl, and it is 1985's The Protector, co-starring Danny Aiello and directed by James Glickenhaus. Do you want to give a brief synopsis of what this movie's about? It also includes Bill Sugarfoot Wallace. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Can't forget that. <laughs> One of my favorite martial artists of all time, Sugarfoot Wallace. It also has the guy who poisons uh, Indiana Jones at the beginning of Temple Doom. He's in it. Who plays Jackie Chan's partner? Danny Aiello. No, oh, no, the, the, the original, original partner? partner. Yeah. No, that's nobody who's ever been in a movie before or since. He looked really familiar to me. He just looked like a white dad from an 80s sitcom. Yeah, maybe that's it. He probably showed up on the Hogan family as like the drunk uncle or something. Oh, I barely watched that show. I, I remember not that. knowing the title of that show for a really long time. It was just like family sitcom on television. And then, I love that show, but I couldn't tell you really what it's about, what happened on it, other than the fact that it had Jason Bateman. And I can remember the opening like theme had a baseball going right into the camera. Like someone threw a baseball and it went right into the camera. So yeah, do you want to give a little brief synopsis of The Protector? Jackie Chan plays a hotshot cop in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, one could even say he's some kind of super cop. What? And after touring through the wasteland of... Escape from New York, him and his partner go drinking in the morning time? Yeah. 
if if I'm reading that correctly, that was I had a real hard time wrapping my head around that one. They go get a beer at like some kind of morning bar, which I've never heard of. Must be an East Coast thing. And inexplicably, the the morning bar is robbed by some kind of paramilitary group featuring Big John Studd, the professional wrestler, <laughs> and uh, Jackie Chan's partner ends up getting murdered, and uh, he's really distraught over it. Gets yelled at by his captain and somehow ends up working security at a fashion show with Danny Aiello. Mm-hmm. Uh, they already seem to know each other. I can't really yes. tell. And uh, after a some kind of high society, uh, you know, someone important's daughter is kidnapped. At the show. At the show by people in masks, and that sets off a series of remarks from different people and they land on the idea of sending Jackie Chan and Danny Aiello over to Hong Kong to get her back. And uh that's the movie. And there's some sort of like drug conspiracy I guess going on too. Yeah, something secondary. about hiding cocaine or heroin in melons. Which right, is not yeah. was not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's clearly secondary, but I mean like that's just the excuse to get the action going. Um, yeah, there's so, a lot of excuses to get the action going in this. Oh movie. my, that's literally this what this entire movie is. Yeah, it's an excuse to to shoot people and kick. But so, for some yeah. reason, it also is like a police procedural. Like sort there's of. a lot of like going and meeting with people and talking to people and driving mm-hmm. around and. Yeah, but every time they talk to somebody, somebody gets shot or punched. Yes, thank God. Um, yeah, I chose this one. Uh, as an underrated movie. Now, let me please clarify when talking about this and talking about this in Jackie Chan's filmography. I am not saying that this is any way, in any way, holds a candle to his best work, such as Drunken Master or Police Story or you name it, any of any of the classics. What I am saying is I think this movie, when it came out, was perhaps... Uh, a little unfairly judged and today is kind of unfairly held up against those other movies because for what it is, it's a pretty, I think a pretty fun, enjoyable, dumb action movie with shootouts and blood and stupid stuff in it. I think it's fascinating. The sort of backlash of sort of hindsight 2020, superiority minded film critics look at this and go uh-huh, uh-huh. that's not how you use Jackie Chan I can't believe how badly they blunder this one the clear attempt here was to take Jackie Chan and disguise him and hide him in a sort of a, a hamburger bun of a movie they're like right. here, <laughs> 100%, yeah. here America here's Jackie Chan there's a lot of a lot of flavor and a lot of uh, meat on this bone. So here he is in something that you can stomach. We're not going to give you something completely new and and upset your stomach, but here he is, you know, with some familiar ketchup and mustard on top. Varying degrees of success, I'll yeah, say. Yeah, I would 100% agree <laughs> with that. I mean, like, there's plenty of dumb shit in this movie, and but, I mean, I think that's kind of fun at times, too. And... I think you're right on the money about like the hindsight reflection of just like, that's not how you use Jackie Chan or like, like I said, comparing it against his Hong Kong movies. You know, I think a lot of fans of martial arts movies and, and, and uh, Jackie Chan fans in particular sometimes like hold up some of his American movies to standards that are kind of unfair. Like people will hate rush hour because who like martial arts specific fans, like who are into Hong Kong films will hate rush hour not because it's inherently a bad movie, but because it's other people's favorite Jackie Chan movie who aren't familiar with his other work, you know? I can and, tell you firsthand, that's one of the reasons why I hate Rush Hour. <laughs> because, because he does have much much more interesting, much more funny, and uh, much more action-packed kind of impressive movies. Like absolutely. Just top to bottom, he has much better work. Same with Shanghai Noon. He can do a lot better than that. Also, Chris Tucker is pretty annoying. 
Agreed. Yeah. I like uh, loud, obnoxious comedy uh, in a lot of ways, but Chris Tucker is not doesn't not do it for movie. me. Obviously, in the minority here, like those movies are a fucking monster hits, and so uh, I can at least uh, understand that I'm the the uh, what do they call that? The vocal minority. I wouldn't say I'm a big Rush Hour fan. Like you were 100 right. You know, about sounds like you, you are. Sounds said. like you're a no. Rush Hour apologist. I'm just saying, like, I think it, sometimes it sounds people, like you're a real Shanghai nooner. I've never, never actually seen Shanghai noon, so there you go. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just that notion that someone's going to like, I hate this movie more because other people like it because they have, I mean, like, and that's kind of unfair to be like, what's your favorite Jackie Chan movie? Uh, Rush Hour. Have you ever seen Police Story? Like, no. Like, well, that's way better. Like, oh, you've I've never, never seen, seen Snake in the Eagle's Shadow, you piece yeah. of shit. <laughs> and it's like, okay, like, I. that's kind of one of my pet peeves. It's like, if you have a very specific interest in, like, you're, like, you're really into genre films and, like, searching out these hard-to-find movies and stuff, and then you get mad at someone else who's not obsessed with that stuff for not being as obsessed with you as you are... You know, and and even know like they don't even know that that movie exists, and you're mad at them that they haven't watched it and don't like it as much as you do. And like, I think that's a little ridiculous. And I think that's, yeah, like a lot of the criticism of this movie falls into that category is that it's you know the same year he made Police Story, and Police Story is a hundred times better. You know, that uh, is correct. But uh, it is interesting to see him in something different like this, and I'm actually. I'm actually fascinated by sort of the non non wacky Jackie Chan, like when he's scowling and uh, kind of deadpanning and playing more of a straight man. I think it's mm-hmm. pretty interesting. So seeing him in kind of a straightforward cop movie, where he only does like a couple of silly things, and they're yeah. not even that far. Like they're still sort of in a. Uh, more of a, a moderate range of wackiness. It actually works pretty well. I think he I, shows I, like that he could have starred in some very straightforward, more serious type uh, American films and done pretty well for himself. Maybe not quite as you know the sort of legendary figure that he's become, but uh, I think he still could have pulled it off pretty well. I agree, and you know it's like yeah, obviously the comedic stuff. Uh, where he's just playing like a, a goofy everyman who gets into the, involved in these outlandish situations is his forte. But you're absolutely right that he does this pretty well, particularly given the fact that this is an English you know, movie and his English at the time was obviously pr- much more limited than it is now. And it's fun watching him do this kind of stuff. It's fun watching watching him in a movie say things like, give me the fucking keys, you know, and like shoot someone and their head explodes. This doesn't happen in any other of his movies, really. So it's and a nice little credit, change of pace. To their credit, they don't lean on that. No. It, like him being Asian isn't like a main focus. Yeah, they're not constantly making fun of him or saying, like, what do you like to do? Like, put rice on your butt or something? Yeah, you know? which was, like, very typical of those type of movies. Like, oh, the, right. the tough New York American cop teams up with the the Asian guy from the Far East. And right. it's mixing them together is like oil and water. And it's yeah, like, it is that the culture clash becomes, like, every other line of dialogue is focused on it. very but, refreshing. Yeah, here they don't touch do it. on it at, yeah. at all. Not at all. It's incredible. You know, and it's like, despite this movie's like flaws and limitations, like you got to give it credit where credit's due, you know? No, it was the biggest thing I noticed was that in a lot of ways, that that being one of them, it was really a uh, kind of an innovative movie for its time. But then also simultaneously, in a lot of ways, it was completely old timey and regressive and uh, leaning on just old tropes and just kind of you know, shit that was already outdated by 1985. Oh, that's definitely true, too. I will also say, I think this is, in a lot of ways, of his American films, the one that feels the most like a Hong Kong action film. Yeah. You know? Uh, not necessarily, obviously not a Jackie Chan Kong, Hong Kong action film, maybe something more like that, like Chow Yun-Fat or a Simon Yam would be in, uh, but just tonally and the way the, the plot just kind of, like, jumps around a lot, you know, and, like, there's sometimes illogical points from A to B. Like, it has that same kind of rhythm, rhythm and pace as a lot of uh, 
Hong Kong action films. Yeah, and it really, like, a lot of the action set pieces and stunts are still something that, in 1985, American audiences were not being exposed to. Not there even are, close. There are, a, like, like you said earlier, this movie doesn't showcase his abilities as much as a lot of other movies do, but... There are a couple legitimately good fight scenes. The fight, the the the, the fight in the in the, like the the spa like is really fun. The final uh, fight like in the showdown in the warehouse. I guess that's, that's not the actual final fight, but like the the final like martial arts fight. Yeah, with Bill Sugarfoot Wallace. Yeah, it's pretty good. It has a lot, and it has a little a bunch of little like like touches that you wouldn't see in American films, like him putting the flower pots on his hands, you know. Uh, to use them as like kind of like um, brass knuckles, you know, makeshift brass knuckles and stuff. Yeah, and the big flying headbutt and like the big drop kick. Yeah. And then even when he goes and sort of brawls with the goons on top of the shipping containers. And the entire, it's funny, we're talking about the final scene already, but the yeah. that entire scene, no music. No. No musical cues, no stingers, no soundtrack, no orchestra, nothing. It's just silence. I mean, this was a low, lower budget film. It was a co-production between Golden Harvest, which was, you know, the, the Hong Kong studio that Jackie was contracted to and made most of his best movies through. But it was probably not receiving the world's widest release when it was released in America. And I think that probably has an issue with its reception. Um I mean, I really don't know 100% about the statistics of that stuff. I didn't look it up. Uh, regard, regardless, though, I mean, like, a wire, it wasn't a success. There's, it, this movie is doing things that were not being seen in American films at the time, but it's also doing a, a ton of other stuff that is 100% just, like, kind of generically American B-movie an old hat like you said you know it's like it's a it's a weird mix mix and match bag of those things that entire uh penultimate fight scene has no music yet the rest of the movie during the action scenes has this goofy old-timey like cop sitcom theme with a saxophone i, I love it i that love just it plays <laughs> and it makes it feel like the oldest movie you've ever seen i know it's so weird and i have i love and tonally it tonally it's off and uh, they but they play it over these really exciting action scenes and it just fucking does nothing. It does the movie no favors. It's I don't, so crazy. I, don't know if, I kinda like it a lot. It's just something like to be really fun about that. You are totally right in your interpretation of it, but it I just get a kick out of it. I will also say this is a fairly good looking movie, you know, particularly for like a what's obviously a lower budget movie. And it was shot by a cinematographer named Mark Irwin who became pretty you know, established. He did a bunch of movies with David Cronenberg, including Videodrome and The Fly. He also did a bunch of comedies like Kingpin, uh, There's Something About Mary, Ten Things I Hate About You. Uh, so there's, a, there's, there's talent working on this movie. There's a mixed bag of talent working on this movie, you know, obviously. And I think that attributes to some things of, of about it being great and other things being about it kind of like head scratchy and huh. There's also, it's funny you mentioned the cinematography because there is a lot of very interesting use of slow-mo that was kind mm-hmm. of ahead of its time. But then there's also a few action scenes that dip into a weird frame rate. I think it's like, it's probably like 30 frames a second mm-hmm. because the action comes up a lot sharper, but it, it doesn't quite flatten out and look weird like say 48 frames a second or right. uh, anything beyond that. But that was something that nobody was doing. Nobody, like 30 frames a second became way more prevalent, especially like into the early 2000s. Like you would mm-hmm. see it with like, um, like when people started using digital cameras for like 28 days later or right. that movie uh, Equilibrium. And I think also like, what's that vampire movie? The Lycans versus the, the... Oh, Underworld. Yeah, Underworld. But it's where you see the action is much sharper and um, it just kind of has like a, a lot less motion blur and you can kind of pick it pick it apart side by side with other movies. But so there's some action scenes that just inexplicably like insert a few of those shots. So I'm not sure if it was intentional or a mistake, but it's very noticeable and it is interesting to see someone doing something like that in this time period. That being said, like at times it feels kind of like a TV movie at the same time. And I think it's important to note that there are two edits of this movie. There's the American edit. And then there's the Hong Kong edit, which after the movie is completed, 
uh, Jackie Chan re-edited a lot of the movie himself and also shot additional footage. And I would say, honestly, for the most part, those edits, new edits, were for the best. A lot of things are just kind of tightened up. At least, I'm not going to really talk about, like, the, the there's like a, kind of a, a new little subplot added into it, and I'm not going to really get deep into that. But just the edits to the actual film itself that don't really change the plot. Lots of things are kind of tightened up because you have sometimes have these overly long establishing shots that just kind of drag out forever, and he cut those down quite a bit. There is a really oddly paced scene where, like, after his partner is killed in the beginning, it goes to the funeral of the partner, and then it goes to him being chewed out in the office, Jackie Chan being chewed out in the office about being too reckless, which that pacing of the, those scenes should not go in that order. Instead, instead, they just cut the funeral scene out entirely, and that really helps the pacing and makes it way less awkward. There is a scene in that and that's in that spa where they're undercover him and Danny Aiello. Are they undercover? They don't sort really of. seem to be especially Danny Aiello doesn't seem like, to be pretending to do anything. I don't know exactly what's going on in that scene, but then they go to get massages and then inexplicably there's some woman that comes in and takes off all of her clothes and starts blowing Danny Aiello. That's a very uh over- oversimplified version of events. That's true. She yeah. takes off her clothes after he flirts with her, and he is continually excited by the prospect of seeing more of her skin. And then they pull out a some kind of human-sized drawer underneath his <laughs> right. massage table right. and have him put his dick in the hole. <laughs> yeah. And presumably, she gets in this uh, blowjob drawer and uh, starts going to town. Even though this... This is so strange. The drawer is like a very far distance from the right. actual table. So like the logistics of this whole scenario is not only absurd. It does make me wonder though, like is there really a blowjob hole on like old school massage tables? I mean, he does say, remember, because he keeps talking about how he was, how he was, Danny Aiello's character was in Hong Kong during the Vietnam War. And that's why he got sent with Jackie Chan. And he kept, and he did say, he goes, "Oh, I remember when these holes used to be smaller." And I, I don't know exactly what that, what that means or whatnot, but apparently, I, well, at least according to this movie, they've been around for a long time, and the size and shape of them have been altered That's with the so times. Strange. Put him in this. They put him in that scenario where he's getting the weird drawer blowjob while two other ladies are massaging him and Jackie Chan, and then they're going to assassinate them. Like they have like pull out weird knives and they're going to stab them, and. Apparently the the blowjob drawer is to distract ja- uh, Danny Aiello, but he's the only one getting a blowjob. Jackie Chan is not. Yeah, he's just getting his back walked on. Yeah, and in the Hong Kong cut, they remove all that stuff, the all, all the nude little striptease and blowjob, which does two things that I think helps the movie out. Is one, Danny's character becomes so sleazy in this movie that it's really hard to like root for him. And two, the pacing and suspense of that scene is actually a lot better without the uh, the weird pervy stuff. Yeah, I think it does Jackie Chan some favors too because he's sort of just laying there like smiling. He's like, ha, 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 my, my silly My silly friend Italian is getting right next like, to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's very, it's very bizarre. I mean, it's kind of like it, there's some sleazy B-movie fun to it, but it's fucking stupid and... Like I said, it really like slows down the scene, so it makes a lot of sense that that was edited out in the in the Hong Kong version. But also in the Hong Kong version, they cut out a lot of things that make this movie, like we were talking about earlier, that make it unique for a Jackie Chan movie. Like they cut out a lot of like the blood and the gunfights, and he doesn't swear in it. You know, like they they they, they redub Oh, really? Him. Yeah, like the scene where he says, "Give me the fucking keys at the at the the marina." It's just like, "I need the keys quick." That guy, the bad guy, is getting away. It's something like that. Yeah, he says a lot of bastards and bullshits and son of a bitches, and it's cool. Like I think he pulls off like a little bit of a like a more hard boiled cop. I think he can do it. I think he can yeah. do it pretty well. So yeah, it changes a lot of that stuff too. So I don't think every edit um, in it, it is for the best, but in terms of pacing. I think it certainly improves the movie. Yeah, I want to talk about the opening of this movie real quick because this is a phenomenon we've experienced before, but never quite in this way. 
there's like a whole entire movie yeah. that starts off this movie. Like it starts off with Jackie Chan and his first partner entering some kind of escape from New York style wasteland. It's so bizarre. It's almost as if at night New York City like transforms into a place with like roving bandits and like sinister looking dwarves and fog and structure fires and and buildings that look There's like they've been bu- like, like bombed up, out. Like, did you see notice the guy like just hanging like in the background like like from a noose on from a telephone pole or a light post or something? Yeah. It's very it's when this movie started I was just like what like this is not the movie I was expecting. And it has like you know, eerie time, escape from New York style it. music. Yeah. And they tell the the there's a semi truck driver that is uh in trouble and they're like where are you from pal? He's like Texas and he's like of course you didn't know you're not supposed to stop at a red light in New York City or yeah, some such nonsense. And Jackie Chan has like a really weird, like a British looking machine gun for some reason mm-hmm. that, that we never see again. But then in the morning time, it's back to a normal city. Yeah. There's nothing strange about it. There's nothing odd. It's just a normal city where people are going to work and all the buildings look exactly like you'd expect. It's seemingly this, this dilapidated wasteland just gets swallowed up uh every time the the sun comes back up yeah so i had seen this movie prior to us you know choosing to do it for this episode and the first time i watched this i was so i was like so confused because i started the movie i was like oh this is the type of movie this is not what i was expecting at all like i thought this would be like it kind of seemed like a dirty hairy type movie with jackie chan in yeah. it and now it's just like this weird like you said escape from new york or death with death wish 3 type of type of feeling to it and very much yeah very much escape from new york i think you're right on the money there um and then instantly that changes like the, like you said the sun rises they go get drunk in the morning and it's just normal New York again. Except like, for the paramilitary bank robbers that show up in their like Vietnam fatigues, like yeah, that's with automatic little... weapons and like a big bag of cocaine. That's a little weird, but it certainly isn't as weird no. as the opening scene. And like that is the tonal shift there is bizarre. And that's one of the reasons why I say, like, you know, this kind of reminds me of or it's his most like Hong Kong-esque American film because if you watch some of the movies where you know they go to like someone like Rumble in the Bronx or something where they go to America or the master like that is sometimes the portrayal of American gangs in Hong Kong movies is this weird like circus carnival yes they look like the red triangle circus gang from Batman Returns yeah exactly (laughs) you know (laughs) and it's it's very much uh very much bizarre and out of place. And I want to talk a little bit more about that when we get into talking about the the director and his opinion of this movie and just what kind of guy he is and his delusions. Yeah. Uh, so the, the very, mini movie very... that, that continues to open this movie is once Jackie Chan's uh, partner gets killed, he sets off to chase down the rest of this gang and it ends up in this crazy ass boat chase through the harbor. Mm-hmm. And I shit you not, this boat chase lasts at least 25 minutes. Yes. It's insane. And it's half of it is uh, them weaving back and forth in their boats and uh, shooting at each other and reloading and doing all this stuff. And then when it finally ends with this absolutely absurd boat crash and impossibly large explosion. Now, for some reason, a lot of people ragged on that explosion, and I'm not mm-hmm. sure why, because it's very impressive. It's huge, yeah. and it's bombastic, and uh, it looks great. Uh, Jackie Chan is suspended from a helicopter. There's a police helicopter that intervenes, and he grabs onto a rope, and as his boat crashes into uh, the criminal's boat. But that boat scene, which I think is gets edited down significantly in the... Yes, uh, like it's multiple minutes shorter. Yeah, it gets uh, re-edited. But then following that, Jackie Chan is chewed out by his his police captain. And then after getting chewed out and told to to back off and quit being such a super cop, he walks downstairs in the police precinct. 
And this guy was, one of the cops was following behind him, stops, and with a stony face, just starts clapping. Yeah. And then everyone in the precinct starts clapping. And Jackie stops and turns around and looks, and everyone's clapping because he did what the right thing to do when when one of your cop buddies gets killed, you go avenge his death. And they're but they're cheering for him like this is the fucking end of Rudy. That's it. That's the end of whatever this movie, the other movie that this guy wanted to shoot. But that's right. like taken up like the first like I don't know 30, 40 minutes of the movie, and I could not it's, believe it's not that long. It's like the first like fifteen. It does. It feels like an eternity. I stopped and yeah. I was like, I was like, wait, is that it? Credits yeah. roll. Like th- right. that's the movie. <laughs> Well, I do think this is one of the oddest things about the movie is, um, and I think it's important to note that James Glickenhaus wrote and directed this movie and was given complete creative control, at least for the um, what, what Golden Harvest was going to distribute in America. Like I said, they did some re-edits for Hong Kong, but they just let him do whatever he wanted on set. Um, and the structure of the partner relationship and I'm talking about both partners, the uh, the Daniello partner and the original partner is so odd because what is the purpose of his partner being killed at the beginning of this movie? Because it really doesn't affect the plot, you know? The, the, the criminals he's going after later on, they have no connection to that, right? It sort of gets him bumped down like a, demo- a demotion sort of. Because he was reckless, but then instantly he's re-promoted after the, you know, Eris is kidnapped. So there's really no purpose in his his partner dying. It would make much more sense for his partner to die. And then we find out that the criminals that kidnapped the woman were somehow connected to the criminals that killed his partner. And then Jackie Chan has a personal stake in it. Or his partner is Danny Aiello the entire time. And he doesn't die. They both chase after these criminals, and they both get demoted. You know, and it's about their journey together as two like renegades. Yeah. Well, all you, what you really needed to establish was that Jackie Chan is this some kind of a super cop, right? Uh, but he's also like, you know, part of the team in New York or whatever. And right. you didn't need like all of this stuff to set that up. Like right. it was there's completely no, there's, there's no emotional impact from his partner dying and it in no way figures into the plot. And Danny Aiello coming in like 10 minutes later just weakens his character as somebody because it, once again, it doesn't play in. It's not like, it's not like, and they, they don't, like we said, it's cool that they don't have these weird like culture clashes, but they don't even have clashes like, oh, I'm dealing with a new partner. No, you know? they already seem like they know each other. Yeah, they're instantly like they're instantly best friends and working together as if they are old partners, which is why if his that was his partner from the beginning and it was just about their exploits together, it would make more sense. Yeah, you, know? you literally could have started the movie like with them getting coffee in this restaurant and then having it get robbed and then, you know, they right. go on a wild chase and then the captain's right. yelling at them, right? Yeah. But he was like, Glickenhaus just wanted, he's like, I want to shoot more movie. Or what if, or if like, what if Danny Aiello's character wasn't as crazy as Jackie Chan's character? And he's like, ah, we should, maybe we shouldn't steal this boat and blow it up. And Jackie Chan's like, no, we're going to do it. And then when they're getting chewed out, Danny was like, I told him not to do it, you know, but you're absolutely right. James Glickenhaus wanted to shoot more movie. And that's why these, that boat chase goes on so long because all the footage in and of itself looks good. And he's like, I got to use all this great footage that I shot. But he edited edited it together as something that's overly long and we just see the same scene happening repeatedly, you know? Yeah, and I guess that was the the big deal with uh, James Glickenhouse's first movie is he didn't really know how to shoot a movie, but he was doing it anyway. And he mm-hmm. just included everything that he shot. And it was like, yeah. it was like 200 minutes of people just uh, spitting out like exposition. Yeah. And then, well, you know, that was the big, his big criticism. And then uh, James Glickenhaus, you know how he became a director? His dad was a rich like stock investor or something. And he's like, dad, I want to direct movies. And his dad goes, okay, here's t- uh, $20 million. You got to turn a profit within three years or something. <laughs> so he was just a spoiled rich kid who wanted to make movies and 
Got it. Now, and then he made I, the exterminator. And then he made the exterminator. And to his credit, he also made Shakedown. Shakedown, uh, which later is later like, on in the eighties. Which is it's a, a fun movie, movie, but it's pretty ridiculous as well. I have to mention this because this movie was a very important part of my my childhood. McBain. Oh yeah. McBrider and director of McBain. And don't get it which twisted. F- there is there is almost no relation between the McBain movie and the Simpsons character of the same name. And that was absolutely devastating for me to learn because I had heard of the uh, Simpsons character first while I was growing up. And then McBain came on TV and I was like, they're like, up next at 2 p.m., uh, McBain starring Christopher Walken. And I was like, come again? Excuse it's me? A, it's just a bizarre coincidence because I remember like the same kind of thing, McBain, you know, from The Simpsons, and then one time being in the video store as a kid and looking in the new release sections, and I was like, McBain with Christopher Walken? But oddly enough, like, the type of movies that Lickenhouse makes are the exact type of movies that McBain is making fun of. Like, McBain's constantly getting chewed out by the chief for, you know, blowing up everything needlessly to catch a pickpocket and whatnot, you know? He's avenging his partner's death for no, you know, even though it doesn't play into anything. Yeah, it's pretty wild. There's no hint of irony in Glickenhouse's writing. And and McBain is like as sort of, it's a, I think it's a pretty good movie, but it is very like, it's the kind of story that a kid growing up like post-World War II would write where it's like, oh, these ex-military guys are going to overthrow an oppressive government in a foreign land and they'll be hailed as heroes and freedom fighters. And that's exactly what the movie McBain ends with Christopher Walken killing this like a South American dictator or whatever and him standing in the dictator's mansion and going out to the deck the entire country cheering and chanting his name McBain 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 yeah. <laughs> I've never seen the actual McBain movie and I think you're right on the money about the no hint of irony in Glickenhouse's movies and I really want to get into that in a moment about just his kind of attitude towards his own work and his attitude towards Jackie Chan as a performer. But before that, like, have you ever watched the supercut of the Simpsons McBain uh, movies? Or oh, yeah, where they edit it into, like, yeah, like almost a movie. The, if you cross the seasons chronologically, they make pretty much a movie. You yeah. Know? Like, I mean, it's only, like, five minutes long, but it tells a narrative, you know? Yeah. And I thought that was pretty cool. I wonder yeah, if so- that was, like, one of the writers was like, oh, this is my sort of side project i'm just gonna like work this in oh has to be you know or which is super cool so in terms of his you know like you said his his no irony in his movies james glickenhouse is completely delusional about the type of movies he makes talking about i watched an interview with him from about like a year or two ago about the protector and that is the majority of what my notes are about is just him his interview, him talking about the movie, him talking about Jack and Chan, his talk, he's talking about Golden Harvest, and this delusional world which he lives in, and the amount of hubris he had as somebody who made two really schlocky B movies prior to The Protector that his dad paid for. Yeah, and he keeps talking about movies that have a he likes his movies with a hard edge. He says hard edge referring to his movies about. 80 times in this 20 minute interview and he re- and he talks about violence in movies and he goes like you know like these hong kong movies they were just violent for no violence sake and you know like i i wanted to make movies that showed you that gore and violence is terrible and he compares the violence and action in his movies to taxi driver the deer hunter and the godfather and this guy makes straight up schlocky you know, gratuitous B-movies. No, none of his characters have any kind of, like, story or life to them. Like, there's not... No. That that amount of depth is not even close to achieved. He doesn't even, like, begin to scratch the surface. Yeah. I mean, like, so, like, in this interview, like, later on in the movie, after the weird blowjob scene, there's some more gratuitous nudity when they get to the cocaine plant and there's all these naked women... Uh, you know, sorting through the cocaine and stuff. And he's talking about that. He's like, people said that was gratuitous, but like, that's from real life. That's what they, the, the cocaine, yeah, czars did because they didn't want him smuggling it. And he goes, and people just said, I wanted to put naked women in there, but there's a man in that scene too. And there's literally like a blinking and miss it. Like you see a guy's butt for like half a second in that scene. And then the rest of it is literally just naked women for five minutes sorting through cocaine. Here's the thing with that. 
what what he's saying is true, but I yes. think the promise of being having all these naked women running around the set was probably pretty alluring. But at the same time, the idea of having people be naked while they process these drugs so they can't steal it is way more interesting than it actually looks. Right. And so, and like, actually, I can see him falling in love, be like, oh, this is going to be an amazing image. And, ah, ah. and it's just... It's, but, I mean, also the way he just presents it, he's like, see, there was a man in that scene, too. And it's like, it's literally for half a second. It's like, you've deluded yourself, and you're like, I want to have naked women on set, but I also want this to be art, you know? He talks a lot about Jackie Chan and Jackie Chan's limitations as a performer. And he says that he's that Jackie Chan has a, a goofy uh, style and it's not realistic and he doesn't know how, he doesn't he didn't have what it takes to be an American action star and didn't understand what it takes to be a, not just an American action star but an international action star, which is funny because when he became the movie that broke him into the American audiences finally was not one of these American-made movies with this quote-unquote hard edge. It was Rumble in the Bronx, you know, which was a movie that actually showcased his abilities. And it's not even one of his great movies by any means, but it was still a lot more than any of these American movies that he had been in had given him the opportunity to do as well. He also thinks um, that uh, Golden Harvest didn't want him to become a bankable star in America because he was a cash cow in, in Hong Kong. But if your star becomes profitable in another country, then you can start marketing your Hong Kong-made movies in that country, which was exactly what happened with Jackie Chan. Rumble in the Bronx got imported, broke him as a star in America. He makes a few American movies, and then they start releasing Drunken Master and Super Cop and uh, the likes of that in America to double their profits. You know, So, I mean, obviously I wasn't there. I wasn't talking to the producers at... Um, golden harvest so i don't know if his about his interpretation but there's other things that he says about 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 this that is quantifiably incorrect so i think there's a lot of delusion in his attitude towards the abilities and skills of hong kong movie makers yeah he comes from definitely a skewed sensibility and uh the things he says aren't complete fabrications or lies but at the same time like sorry pal we stand with hong kong <laughs> i mean certainly there's probably yeah certainly there's probably there's probably some level of that you know whatever and he's certainly entitled to his opinion that he that like jackie chan style is not his thing you know like that's fine right you like you don't like that that style he said he was more into like bruce lee's style uh he thought jackie chan stuff was a lot more like kinetic and like fluid and dancey which it is you know but he holds, he kind of presents himself when he's talking about this as if it's not just his opinion. He believes that's the popular opinion outside of Hong Kong, which it is not. Because once again, it was that style that eventually is what broke Jackie Chan as a star in America. But he kind of has this opinion that, yeah, everyone thinks the way I do about this. And it's just not true. Like, Personally, I'm not a big Bruce Lee fan, but I couldn't say because I'm not a big Bruce Lee fan that the rest of the American populace also thinks about him the way I do. You know, I certainly think Bruce Lee is talented, regardless of the fact that if what he does is not necessarily my thing, you know. And he also says that Jackie Chan never achieved American stardom as his on his own, but only as a sidekick, which is total bullshit. Yeah, no, not even close. I mean, like, I guess he's talking about Rush Hour, you know, because he's teamed up in a buddy cop movie. But that's like saying that Mel, Mel Gibson never achieved stardom on his own because his most popular movie was Lethal Weapon, you know. And also you put Jackie Chan in a buddy cop movie. So it's apparently that's what you thought was a good idea, too. It's not it's I don't know. He just has like this very kind of limited perspective. Yeah, and Jackie Chan is arguably the main character here. Like, Danny Aiello is really, like, really takes quite a bit of a backseat, Oh, honestly. 100%. I think I'll, maybe some of this is the fact that he didn't make a successful movie with Jackie Chan in it, and therefore is laying blame in other places. That would be my guess, because, like I said, this guy has a lot of delusions about the type of movies he makes, or made, and a lot of hubris for 
like I said, a guy whose daddy paid, bought him a movie studio, essentially. Yeah, it's definitely, that's a weird one. And you might have already touched on this, but what what was it that, why did he want to work with, or no, he got hired right. by Golden they, Harvest, right? They approached him because they liked the exterminator and probably because he would work for cheap because he wasn't a hugely established director and they wanted somebody who could just crank out a fast B movie, you know? Right. So he didn't Which necessarily is... want to work with Jackie Chan. No, he, 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 they, when they, they, when they approached, when Golden Harvest approached him, he go, he specifically said, he's like, I don't like Jackie Chan's style. I, I, I want to do something. I would want to do a martial arts movie more like a Bruce Lee movie. And they said, no, Jackie Chan wants to, you know, do a more American style movie, et cetera, et cetera, which he is what he does. But any time that Jackie Chan did do a lot of the fight choreography and anytime I got a little bit more involved, Glickenhaus was like, ah, this is stupid, which once again, that's, that's a personal preference. Didn't the same exact thing happen to him on uh, tough and deadly? Well, he produced that, but I don't know what the, he didn't direct it. I don't, I don't know really any stories behind that. Weird. That sounds really familiar. Well, once again, I think it's like you got this guy who's very delusional about the type of movies he makes. Like he says, he thinks he's making movies like Taxi Driver and The Deer Hunter. Shakedown, for instance, has Sam Elliott crawling out of an airplane and getting onto the landing gear and shooting out the engine with a pistol. You know, I would not put this into the, that into the category of... Uh, you know, serious, gritty, hard-edged, you know, thoughtful uh, movies that show the the nature of violence and how it's destructive. Yeah, his sort of yearning to make these art films and stuff, but the fact that it's so dramatically different from the final product is like right. that disconnect is wild. Whatever, though. I mean, like he made some fun movies, and I don't hang have to hang out with him, so I don't really care. But it's just watching him talk about the movie was mind-bogglingly fascinating. Yeah, that's why it's so refreshing to, you know, you hear certain filmmakers, instead of talking about their intent, commenting on what the reality of it was. Right. Like uh, Fred Decker, for example. I love listening to him talk about Night of the Creeps and The Monster Squad. Because he talks about, uh, you know, what he was trying to make, and then he talks about what actually happened. And he's got a sort of a good handle on the reality of those movies and where they landed and what his kind of legacy with those became. And so it's always interesting to hear certain people talk about their movies and just, like, where the fuck were they coming from and what did they really, like, what did they really see on screen in that final product and how is it so drastically different from what everyone else sees and you know and obviously sometimes when you hear people talking about their own work like that you can tell that there's like a level of like you know they're they are aware that they didn't achieve that but they don't want to admit it type of thing you know so they're trying to like talk up their own work i genuinely feel like listening to him talk that there is clear delusion that he believes he's making stuff that is serious and artistic and not just explosions and, and schlock you know well overall what's your overall takeaway from this movie do you like it would you recommend it that's um, the funny thing is like there's nothing there's a few like really goofy things to latch onto, but it's not in the the pantheon of like worst movies and biggest bumbles and no. Just terrible. I think it's actually a pretty solid vehicle for Jackie Chan, and I think it's cool to see him in this more serious context. And I think you get some good, like a sampler platter of his action style and what he's he's capable of in terms of stunts and that presentation. Yeah, there's plot holes and missing scenes and blah blah this corny music and whatever, but it was like pretty inoffensive. Like it was a kind of a breeze to get through. And so yeah. I think for people who are interested in just seeing more Jackie Chan, it's entirely watchable. When it's really goofy, it, it, it oddly kind of like works. It's, it's, it, it has these tonal shifts, but it's never so wild that it just like shocks you out of it, except for that opening scene in the waste, like futuristic wasteland. The goofy stuff kind of adds to the enjoyment of it overall. And 
when it works as an action movie, it works pretty well. And when it works as a, like a gritty cop movie, it works not bad. And then it kind of just kind gets funny and stuff at the same time. But like, like you said, as a sampler platter, it all kind of meshes together pretty, pre- pretty well. I think unintentionally pretty well. Where it and- truly shines is wardrobe. This movie solidifies Jackie Chan as one of the all-time action movie drip gods. Absolutely. His outfit, his jacket and pants and shoe combinations. The only misfire he has is the suit he's wearing at the party, Uh which is kind of lame. But he's got like three different style of bomber jackets that are awesome. He's got his classic white tennis shoes in a lot of scenes mm-hmm. he's got uh his jeans fit like a million bucks like for no other reason just watch this movie and clock every single outfit change that jackie chan has it's unbelievable i i could hey. only dream of being as stylish as this guy is and not to mention Di- danny aello's hawaiian shirts you know at one point he's wearing like a members only jacket with just yeah. no shirt underneath <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's so gross it's great yeah, I think this is a definitely like a fun little slice of like forgotten action, 80s action movies. And it's certainly much better than I think it's, you know, remembered by those who do remember it and have seen it. All right. Any other final little thing you want to add on this before we get out of here? No. I think that just about does it for this one. Uh, you think we'll keep uh, keep running with this martial arts movie theme, or is this, I don't see this why the not, end of our journey? I, I could do another movie or two. Honestly, like regardless of this theme, before you, you even were like, oh, let's do sidekicks. Martial art movie. I've just been on a kick of martial art movies, and that's mostly what I've been watching lately. Yeah, same. I just watched Meltdown with Jet Li and was thoroughly entertained by that stupid movie. Haven't seen that one, it's, so maybe we could do. Maybe we should do that. I don't think so. I don't. <laughs> I, I could spend about ten minutes talking about it, but that's it. Fair enough. All right. Well, all right. That sums it up for today. Maybe we'll be back with another martial arts movie. Maybe we won't. Um, uh, go check this one out. Why not? Do it. I don't care. And uh, that's all I gotta say. Well, Keith, what do you have to say? Just to let you guys know, it's actually Bill Superfoot Wallace. I called him Sugarfoot just as a gag. And I I enjoyed every minute of it. I love it. And until next time, the dumpster is closed. Goodbye, everybody. Everybody go back to doing what you were doing.